Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, the founder of Stack, and this week I'm speaking to an independent magazine maker with a truly extraordinary story. Cassius Matthias is the founder and editor of Yes and No magazine, and as he explains during our conversation, the magazine came about after he nearly died from a very serious illness. His recuperation from the illness put him on an unusual pathway for securing funding, and then this first-time magazine maker managed to get Dominic Lipper, one of the partners at Pentagram, to come on board as designer without Cassius even knowing what Pentagram is. It is genuinely a very unusual story, and that's fitting because Yes and No is an unusual magazine. Cassius was a filmmaker before his illness, and the magazine has some very filmic structures to it. It's also a magazine that deliberately defies categorization. It genuinely doesn't want to limit itself in any way. It's literally both yes and no. And that for me is where the interest comes from. But of course, it can also make it harder to sell when you're trying to tell people what this magazine is all about. Cassius is very open about his experiences with all of that so far. And it makes for a really fascinating conversation. As you'll be able to hear, he's also a very nice chap, and so I'm very grateful to him for dropping in at Somerset House to speak to me. I hope you'll enjoy it. I'm here with Cassius Matthias, uh, the editor of Yes and No. Cassius, welcome. Thank you very much, Steve. Well, I'm happy to be here. And thank, you, thank you for having me. Well, I, I'm really pleased that you came over because you have a pretty extraordinary story with this magazine. Lots of the magazine makers that I talk to will say that their magazine came from passion. But for you, it came almost from literally life and death. Yes, I think that's a fair assessment, in fact. Um, Thankfully, it was out of life. (laughs) Yeah, but close to death. (laughs) I had been uh, very close to death, and I was convalescing from um, a a really serious illness. Um, And it was during this period of convalescence that I decided to create a magazine. And the magazine has turned into Yes and No. And so what was it at that point? So you're literally in hospital. You had pneumonia, I think. Yes. So you had pneumonia, you are in hospital. And you were working in the film industry at the time. Correct. So what was it that made you think, you know, rather than I'm going to get back to making film with this renewed vigour and passion, what was it that made you think, actually, I want to make a magazine? Um, So this is a question that I often ask myself. (laughs) The only, uh, the only way I can really think about it now, now that I'm creating the magazine, and the magazine is, you know, we've had two issues, and I'm just creating the, the third issue, is when you have, like, a serious illness, illness, and you come through that experience, something happens to you. Something changes in your mind. The way you see the world, the way you think about the world... Uh, the way you think about yourself and about where you are in space and time, literally, these kind of big ideas and these big thoughts come to you. If you're fortunate enough to be in a situation where you're coming through it, when you realise the, the gravity of what you've been through, the kind of the seriousness 
And when you think, wow, that was a close shave. And it changes you. And that feeling of change, I think, is represented in the direction that I took to create the magazine and not to kind of go back to thinking about making films. So you wanted something that was a fresh challenge for you, really? You wanted a, literally a new chapter to your life? Uh, I think that's how it's turned out. I mean, I wasn't sort of... I didn't think, oh, you know, what can I do next? Because I didn't really think that there would be a next. Um, so I didn't really think so... Uh, uh, sort of with such clarity of like, oh, you know, I think I, I need a new challenge now. It was more... How, it's just really difficult to explain. It's, it was more of a deep feeling of, uh, in a way, a gratitude of being alive and wanting to manifest that realisation in something that I could share rather than sort of going around kind of telling, about, telling people about my experiences. It was kind of... I took that core idea of a newfound awareness of life and the future and thought that I could create a platform, which the magazine is, for the life stories of other people, whether it's through words, through pictures, um, through ideas, photography, painting, the whole range of life experiences. So give us some uh, of the detail of how this then happened because you so you weren't really planning to make a magazine but you, you came out of hospital mm -hmm. and you found yourself in a job center mm -hmm. how does that lead to making a most people go to a job center and they get a job <laughs> <laughs> well i was uh, because i was so uh, ill i was actually convalescing so i was on like a sort of a sickness program like sickness benefit i guess it's called and um it took several months, really, for me to get back to any kind of normal strength. And after a while, the, um, the job centre started sort of saying to me, well, you know, you've got to think about getting back into the workplace. What are you going to do? You've got to do something. And that's when I started thinking about, OK, what am I going to do? And the, the first thought wasn't, oh, I think I'll make a magazine. The first thought was like, well, what, I actually, what am I going to do? I know I'm not going to do what I did before. Not at that moment, anyway. I mean, it's not... I don't sort of feel like I'll never make another film again. But I knew at that time, which is like two and a half years ago, I thought, this is like a new beginning. They told me at the job centre that they had a programme called the New Enterprise Allowance Scheme. And this was a scheme where they, they kind of walk you through the stages to develop a business idea. Um, and... Uh, and that's when I started thinking about how can I construct a business idea that will fit into this program that will enable me to get off benefits and into a working situation. So uh, that kind of accelerated the, the, the sort of the thinking that I had to kind of go through to come up with an idea that, that kind of meant something to me and that was also realistic for me. And that's when I thought, literally I woke up one in the middle of the night, thinking, I'm going to create a magazine. 
and the job centre said, <laughs> don't be ridiculous. <laughs> uh, well, they did actually, especially because um, I, when I said it was going to be a print magazine, they were like, you're crazy because print is dying a death and it will never work. But then I kind of put together what must have been a convincing argument uh, for the core idea of what this thing w would be. And they, uh, yeah, they said, okay, let's, uh, you know, we'll help you through that process of creating a business plan and we'll see where it takes us. And so, and it took you to? It took me to a place where I created the business plan and then I, um, because of the business plan, I was eligible for a startup loan. And what happened was that on this particular uh, scheme, most people who kind of get through it with a, an approved business plan, they are um, awarded two and a half thousand pounds as a startup. And that was kind of like standard for everyone. So I was uh, advised to apply for this standard startup, two and a half thousand pounds, uh, which is what I did. Um, and I, my application was rejected. Um, so that was a bit of a setback because everyone just thought that the business plan was actually quite solid and that it would be a natural uh, progression to get the startup loan. But it didn't happen, so I had to rethink the business plan and also what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do things. And I realised that the £2,500 wasn't going to be sufficient for me to do anything to really get the, the project, the magazine project, kind of off the ground. So I um, did my homework and I worked out uh, how much I needed to get to a certain stage in the process. And it was actually three times the um, kind of av the normal amount. But I was told that um, hardly anyone ever actually was awarded this um, figure, seven and a half thousand pounds, under this particular scheme. Um, and it would be a long shot to apply for that level, even though it's actually a very modest n number, it would be a long shot to, um, to, to apply and to actually to be awarded that, that level of funding. But you went ahead? But I went, I went ahead and I made the application and I was determined. And I was also told that if, because it was like a, a high level for them, if it was, if it went through a certain kind of gatekeeper, then I'd have to stand uh, in front of a panel to uh, kind of state my case uh, for, the, for the project. And, um, but sure enough, it went through that process and I was uh, invited to come in for a meeting to, uh, to present the project in front of the panel. And I spent about an hour and a half uh, discussing the project, my vision, my plans, um, and uh, they said that they would take a punt. So you're obviously a very persuasive man when it comes to the... I, I think it's fantastic that you, you didn't just stop at that first hurdle and that you, you went on. But, I mean, even £7,500, that's a great start. But when you're thinking of what a, a print run is going to cost and, mm -hmm. and paying for content and everything else... Mm -hmm that's not going to pay for the first issue, never mind, you know, it's like moving you on beyond there. So mm -hmm. what, were, what were your steps after you had that first piece of money in the bank? Mm -hmm. Where do you go from there? Well, I used that to um, 
to kind of get various things up and running. Um, my, the main thing was to get me over to New York to interview Sam Taylor Johnson. Uh, she's the uh, cover story for the first issue. So part of that money was used to get me over to New York to, to, uh, to do that interview. And I knew that that was an important component of getting the project together because it was the first issue, the first cover story. It had to work. And I knew I didn't want to do a telephone interview. It had to be a face-to-face -face, uh, conversation, which is what it turned out to be. And uh, even though since then I've done several uh, telephone interviews, um, so I've interviewed others for the magazine via telephone, but what obviously what I try and do is I try and have a face-to-face. -face. Um, then uh, it kind of gave me the confidence, I guess, to be a bit more... How, how can I express it? It kind of gave me the confidence to believe in the project, the fact that I was kind of going through these steps and through these stages and it, things seemed to be falling into place and I think people started to think that there could be something in this project. So through the printers that I work with, the Lakehold printers, I was introduced to uh, Dominic Lipper at Pentagram. And he uh, and I, we met um, over several months actually and discussed the project, my ideas for it and how how it could come together um, and he was very good in also actually taking a punt I guess and coming on board to design the, um, the look, the feel, the attitude of the magazine uh, with his team at Pentagram. I know it's crazy that so you, you didn't know the guys at Pentagram at all beforehand. No. You are a first time magazine maker Yes. You're saying, look, here's this idea that I've had, and you've got Pentagram designing. I mean, the, arguably the most famous design, graphic design company in the world is now designing your magazine. Well, that's what I then discovered. Because <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't even heard of... I mean, obviously I was familiar with their work, but I didn't really know that the work that I was so familiar with was the work of Pentagram. Um, and it was, it, was, it was all very new to me. Um, but it was great because I felt so supported and, and so encouraged by them. And they and Dominic got what I was trying to do. I mean, I, 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 um, when I first met him, I didn't have anything to show. I didn't, I didn't sort of say, look, here is a range of magazines. I want my magazine to be like this. I just had this very strong idea. But also at the time, I was putting together ideas for the content. I was sort of gathering the contributors and because of my background in film and um, the, the arts, broadly speaking, I was lucky enough to be in a position where I could kind of ask friends to uh, contribute and to help. Uh, and that's really set through the work of friends coming together, you know, believing in the project and actually believing in me and thinking that this could be a good thing. Um, and that's how it's kind of, that's how it started and that's how it's kind of evolving. I mean, now, in fact, it's not just friends of mine who are uh, still helping out and getting involved. It's, you know, it's gone much wider. And I have people contacting me from all over the world saying, you know, I have this idea. What about this? Can we, you know, have you thought of this? And it's been fantastic. This is what you find. I think once you get a magazine out into the world, people start to convene around it and they start to see that they could contribute or they could have something to do with it. 
Yes, especially because I couldn't say this magazine is going to be like that one over there. So there was no kind of precedent in a way. Not to say that there aren't other magazines like Yes and No. But the thing about Yes and No magazine is I knew that it wasn't going to be about one thing only. I knew it wasn't going to be just a, just a, a film magazine or just a, an art magazine. I knew there was going to be a broad range of uh, subjects and topics that it would cover really reflecting the world that we live in through culture. And I think you're right, until it then sort of, until it, it ex kind of came into existence, um, you know, with the first issue, and then now with the second issue out, then people started to realise, oh, that's what it is. And it seems to have struck this kind of chord in people's hearts and minds in a curious kind of way where there seems to be a need for um, surprise, like people want to be surprised. Uh, I mean, I think we live in a world where there are shocking surprises every day. You look at the news and you read the papers and it's like one shocking surprise after another. And I think we are used to being surprised, but, and I, because, partly because of that. And I think because we have this thing of being surprised, we never know what's going to happen from one day to the next through the media, like through the news. I think that that can also be kind of translated into culture and how we can be surprised by culture. And uh, so therefore in a magazine, like Yes and No, uh, it can actually have stories about um, you know, sexual health, it can have stories about filmmakers, artists, designers, thinkers, air pollution... It can, it can have a story about anything. And the whole thing, it, it leads to quite a strange reading experience. And so yeah. I, I don't know whether this is because I know that your background is in film, but now when I read the magazine, it feels like, it feels filmic. It feels like a montage of things with the, 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 this series of things being put in front of me, whereas normally maybe there's more of that editorial through line of like, okay, I'm going to start here and take you on this journey. There is, I mean, was that baked into the idea at the start or is this just kind of like how it's come out? Uh, that was one of the uh, early conversations uh, that I had with Pentagram actually, was that um, because of my background, because I've been working in the film business for many years, I can only really think about things in a cinematic kind of narrative way so for me everything I said that everything is about story and the content defines the design um, and and the content will come together in a kind of instinctive kind of way so I, I use my instincts to kind of pull the content together I mean if you are kind of bothered to look you can find that there are thematic kind of connections and there are things that sort of seem to resonate. Uh, but I love this idea that you can have seemingly different, very different stories within the pages of one magazine, but they are connected by a kind of a like-mindedness. You know, the thing that binds them and connects them and it, that kind of creates that through line that you talk of and talk about is the fact that there's a there's an openness to the stories. There's a sort of, um, there's a, this is, this is kind of where it, the, what it is. What do you think? It's kind of like giving the reader, it's trying to engage with the reader on that level of a conversation. 
saying, you know, have you thought about this? Um, and what I'm finding from the kind of feedback that I've started to receive more and more every day, which is great, um, is that people really like that. People like that idea that they don't quite know what to expect, especially from issue one to issue two. And, uh, and also, just in terms of how we approach the design of the magazine, we don't really have a design kind of formula in any way. We don't even really have a logo. <laughs> we have a title, but so far our title looks different on each of the two issues, <laughs> um, which is, I think, which is great. Yeah, well, absolutely. I, I mean, look, the, the magazine looks fantastic. Thank and you. I think the, the, it, it makes absolute sense what you said about the content leading the design. The, the whole thing, like this, this feels like um, a, a package that's been put together with a great deal of thought. Mm -hmm. It also feels like it's quite a difficult thing to sell mm -hmm. because you're saying it's yes and no. Mm -hmm. It defies categorization. Mm -hmm. It's not a film magazine, it's not a music magazine. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's really interesting about it. But then when you have a film magazine, you can say to people, this is a film magazine. Mm -hmm. It goes in the film section. Mm -hmm. If you're interested in film, you should buy this magazine. Whereas when you've got a magazine which is about everything, mm -hmm. how do you go about telling people this is the magazine that you should read? Yes. Um, well, um, I don't know is <laughs> <laughs> the answer to that. Um, I was told that, because uh, we are on sale in Barnes & Noble in the States, um, all over the States, 146 Barnes & Noble outlets, and apparently we're in special interests uh, section. Uh, so that sounds quite good. Um, I think in the UK and other places, um, I think the magazine just sort of sits on a shelf. Um, wherever the, um, you know, the owner of the shop thinks it's the best place for it, and people discover the magazine. It's a magazine that people discover. I don't think it's the a type of magazine that you're told about. You don't, you're not told that there's this new film magazine and you know, it's great because it deals with all the latest releases. It's a, in a way, the magazine needs to discover its audience in the same way, I think, that the audience is discovering the magazine. And this is why, for me, it's really important to really think always about the dialogue between the magazine and the reader. And so you have got the second issue out at the moment. Yes. When can we expect the third one to be with us? Soon. Um, so I'm working on the third one, obviously. And uh, in fact, I'm working on uh, issues three and four simultaneously. Very sensible. <laughs> yes, we're trying to be ahead of the curve, as they say. Um, so we are thinking... Um, at the end of October, that's the uh, that's the aim at this at this stage, but the date, the actual date, will be confirmed sort of later on. And the way that you've structured this, so you you have so this the one I have in front of me is issue two, yes, and it's presented as number zero one dash zero two. So you're you are you thinking of this in in volumes or series or in volumes? Yeah, it's uh, zero one uh, colon zero zero two. And it's, um, yeah, so then uh, volume two will be zero two, then we go to back to zero one. Uh, I like the idea that uh, with each year, uh, you'll have a collection of four. Um, and because I'm thinking about issues three, well, I'm working on issue three, I'm thinking about issue four. 
they, there is actually some kind of overarching structure to this. So, for example, in many of the stories, um, in parts one and two, uh, or rather in issues uh, one and two, there's a two-part story on bloodborne viruses. Um, in, um, there's also a graphic uh, novel that's being told in five parts that will unfold over five issues. Uh, Tom Burr, who is the centrefold artist in issue one, his work, actually, his artwork will evolve over several issues. So he started with the centrefold in issue two. He has three spreads. In issue three, he'll have two spreads, and eventually he'll end up with one page. And so there are kind of narrative and also filmic, filmic sort of structures kind of in place that are being played out. And I take it then, can people just go to your website and buy themselves a whole set? Because you presumably want people to be viewing this in sets. Yes, I think um, originally I thought that the magazine would be a subscription-only magazine. And that was my, it would be print subscription only. But then, of course, uh, as I started to uh, dig deeper into publishing, what was happening in publishing, talking to more and more people about it, it made sense to think about newsstand as well. Um, but I never really thought that the magazine would be a digital magazine, although now we do have the digital version, so we have an app. I like the idea, in fact, what is happening is that people are collecting the magazine anyway. This, um, people started collecting, obviously, issue one, the kind of you know, die-hard kind of um, the pioneers, if you like. Uh, but then when we released issue two, um, I believe there was a, a bit of a sort of a, an upsurge in interest with issue one. So now issue one is kind of very difficult to find. Uh, issue two obviously is out in the marketplace. Uh, I like the idea, the intention is that it's a collectible um, magazine, even though it is 100% recyclable. I like the idea that you can, because the, the, the imagery in the magazine is so fantastic, I like the idea that you can just like tear the pictures out and put them on your wall. No! You know? <laughs> well, it's, a, it's a magazine, you know, this is how magazines can be, can be used. Um, You're talking to a man who has trouble taking stickers out of magazines. <laughs> like, uh, okay, I can, I, I can see that. The I personally, in theory. It, so if, I mean, because you know, it's worth saying it's, it's £15 yes. to buy a copy. If I bought my £15 copy, I definitely would not be pulling bits out of it. I'd, I would want to keep this yes. like next to all of its brothers and sisters on the shelf yeah. and then say at the end of it, there we go, that's my set of yes and no. Well, that, yeah, I mean, that's great. I mean, what some people are doing is they're buying two copies, one to put up as on the shelf as part of the set and then another to kind of have a day-to-day -day kind of reading uh, issue. I mean, I love it when I see kind of dog-eared issues when people kind of show me what they've been doing with it. <laughs> Um, but also, uh, I think it is a magazine, it's not a book, you know, and it should be treated as such. Um, but, you know, yes, and it's £15, it's a lot of money for one issue. But if you think that it is a, it's a quarterly magazine, so that works out to around a fiver a month, uh, the quality of the writing, the quality, uh, as we've already talked about, I mean, I'm obsessive almost uh, about maintaining those levels that standard that quality and uh, it's not always possible to achieve because of the forces that come into play to try and put something together and this is why it's been so difficult for me uh, to um, to pull the whole thing together and to kind of 
reach that standard, that quality, and to keep it. And this is this is uh, um, an obsession for me is to maintain that standard because I, I believe people deserve quality, good quality, um, and why not? You know, it takes a bit of effort on our side to to reach those um, those bar that bar, but I think ultimately people will respond, which is what seems to be happening. Excellent. Well, that is very good news. Um, it's an extraordinary story, and thank you very much for coming and sharing it. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure, Steve. Okay, that's it for this week. I definitely know where Cassius is coming from in wanting people to use the magazine and not treat it as some kind of sacred object. But I'm afraid I have to draw the line, Cassius, at ripping out pictures. People just can't be doing that with your magazine. I loved hearing the background on Yes and No, and I hope it's helped to whet your appetite for the magazine. Do go and search it out in a shop near you, or of course you can buy online at magazineyesandno.com. If you would like to hear more conversations with independent magazine makers, head over to our SoundCloud or iTunes pages. Just search Stack Magazines and you'll find all of our previous episodes in there. And of course, if you follow us while you're there, we'll be able to deliver the next episode as soon as it's ready. That's it from us. We'll be back again with another episode next week.